we got through a whopping two verses last week. Two verses. Um, and what we did, I hope it was helpful to you in some way. It seemed like it was. There's some pretty good feedback from people. That um, basically, we, there's this assumption that Peter is writing with. And so again, Peter, fisherman turned apostle. Um, average Joe turned man of God. Uh, Simon turned Cephas, the rock. Right? So you have, and that's who's writing the book. And he has been radically marked and touched by God's grace in his life. And not because he followed and did everything Jesus said perfectly. Only because he remained faithful, he stayed close, and he developed a good habit of always running to Jesus. Even after he failed. And so, last week we talked about how throughout this book, there's this um, assumption that he's making, and the assumption is that um, God has, he knows who his chosen people are going to be, who's going to respond to his voice. And last week we talked about that, you know, like, how does that work? How, how does, who makes the choice on that? Is it more God? Is it more us? And, and we don't want to just give opinions, you know, we, we talked about what does the Bible say about that. So we spent a lot of time last week diving into that. So if you missed any of that, you might want to check it out last week. It seemed to be helpful for a lot of people. So this week, we're actually going to kind of get into the flow of the passage and what's going on. And the idea of what's happening here is that Peter is writing to a bunch of Jewish believers that are scattered all throughout in different regions, and they are going through some very difficult, heavy persecution times. Not really not anything we really know a lot about, to be honest with you. We don't really know a lot about that. Um, we know maybe some gossip about us. We know maybe some, um, some shunning maybe in our life. Um, we know maybe some people being rude or impatient for the fact that we're Christian. But we don't know a lot about heavy persecution to where if someone were to say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm a follower after who he is. And as soon as they say that, they know that they just put their own life and their family's life in jeopardy. See, that's the type of persecution. So that's who Peter is writing to. So let me give you this question. The question is this. What do you say to people that are going through extremely difficult situations and there's no words or easy answer that you can do or say to fix it? Right? What do we do? Typically what happens a lot of times is you know, people just try and, with the best of intentions, just try and, uh, you know, keep your head up. You know, like, stay in it. You know, try and stay positive. Um, you know, God is good, you know, and, and he'll see your way through, and, you know, he'll be there for you. And, um, you know, there's, there's really good intentions, you know, behind that. And the idea, hopefully is to help to create in the other person that's really struggling. And maybe you've been at that someplace in life, and someone has just given you something and be like, oh, just like give it to Jesus. And it's like, what does that even mean right now? I don't even know. The Jesus that I've like worshipped and believed in, it seems like everything's crumbling, and I'm not seeing like anything. Laura Hackett wrote this song um, 
it's called uh, In the Gap, where she, you know, she's writing this song about, there's these things, God, that I know that I believe about you, that I've read about you, but I, I'm just, I'm not seeing it. There's this gap of I'm trusting you and believing in what you said and in your word, but I'm, I'm not like seeing it right now. And she sings a song about the gap. I like this song. It's really good. Laura Hackett. It's an older song, um, but not that old. So these people are struggling, you know, so what do you say? And I think, actually, that's the wrong question. I think that's the wrong question, as far as what do you say. I think that's a good second question. A good first question is, what do I need? No. What am I hearing? A good first question is, what am I hearing? Because that's honestly what matters. Someone's really going through a difficult time, and it's really challenging. What they're feeling is a flood of emotions. Now, Peter wrote a letter, so he doesn't have the privilege of having the one-on-one conversation. But a lot of times, we do get that privilege. And many times, also, we think we're processing really well like what they're saying and what's going on, and we're quick to give a response, instead of maybe slowing down a little bit and making sure we're really clear on exactly what they're saying. Because, I mean... I know none of you struggle with saying exactly what you want to say, the way you want to say it, when you want to say it. Especially when you're stressed out, frustrated, and full of anxiety. But the reality is, most people, when they're under that type of emotional kind of pressure, they're not saying exactly what they want to say, the way they want to say it, with the words they want to use. So it's really critical for us to be able to possess that quality of just not saying a whole lot. Just letting somebody kind of go for a little bit. Just be like, what are they saying right now? What are they saying? What's the undercurrent of what's being said? That's an incredibly valuable tool as a Christian and as a believer. Because then from there, hopefully we can redirect the conversation to now something worthwhile to talk about. Because to be honest with you, if when we are really struggling with things, and things are really difficult, it might be true that we really need some good advice. But the reality also is, kind of the last thing that we want to hear right, at least right away everybody say right away because timing is a big deal here at least the last thing we want to hear right away is you, just, you got to do this suck it up buttercup you know like there's got to be something more to that or you know give it to God you know just these religious cliches and I'm not saying those are inherently wrong and they don't possess truth but the Christian is, is, is able to realize and understand the sensitivity of the timing and saying it in such a way so it can be received. Many times, many of us can get caught up and I, you just got to say the truth. What's the truth? And you got to hear the truth. And, and maybe, yes. And I'm not saying that you sacrifice truth, but I am saying there's a way and a time in which to deliver truth so it's best received. And there are those occasional times as well. You really pray your way through it. You really wait on the Lord. Try and be patient. And you still might totally screw it up. And that's not on them, that's on you. Or, you maybe did a really good job and this wasn't received well. And there's just a wall up. And it's like, eh, you just can't get real further there, at least for right now. Maybe later you go back and revisit. So, I say all that just to say that these are the dynamics in play with First Peter and who he's writing to. 
they're under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And I think, so Peter can't have that conversation. There's no FaceTime. You can't Skype. You know, there's no, it's I'm going to write this letter and hopefully it gets to them. So if you're Peter, what would you write? If there is a apostle somewhere and he heard about the church in Naugatuck and he knew we were really struggling and going through a difficult time and you were Peter, what would you write? How would you start off the letter? Well, what Peter does is he starts off the letter by putting back into focus who they believe in and where their trust should lie. The truth of who God is. Because that radically transforms the situation. Sometimes one of the, some of the, one of the best things that we can do when we're under a lot of weight and stress and anxiety is to somehow find a place somewhere and fill our minds and our hearts with the goodness of who God is. Whether that's in song, whether that's in prayer, whether that's in calling up a friend that we know that we can trust in that will at least give that to us. But somehow, some way, we choose to intentionally position our ears, our eyes, our minds into the goodness of God and His nature of who He is. And that's not a foreign concept. I mean, David did that in the Psalms. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's like he was telling himself, this is a... I'm telling my soul like what to do right now. I need to intentionally put myself there. I'm not really feeling it right now, but I know my soul needs this. And so Peter, he is trying to express to them, the title of the message is, oh, it's not up there, but the title of the message is, um, do we have it up there? Will it come up? Maybe. I put it on there, I promise. It's in the bulletin anyways, if you have it there. Under the notes part for you. Right? But the idea is glorious joy. He's trying to express to them and communicate to them this glorious joy that they have. Because if they can be reminded of this glorious joy that they believe in, of who God is, that transforms a lot of things right then and there. So let's dig in a little bit. Let's take a look at a couple of things. So we're starting at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, everybody say abundant. Abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this last time. We'll go to verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you don't, do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Pretty interesting here. I want to go back to the beginning part. You know, he's saying, hey, listen, 
you guys are super blessed. I know, like, the situation that's happening. And I said and prayed in our prayer in the beginning, it's worthwhile to think about and store somewhere in your brain or on a piece of paper. There's, we're always going to be engaged in this fight in life where there's circumstances and then there's God's truth. And the circumstances of life, the enemy would love for those to speak and be the loudest and have the most influence. Instead of God's truth. That battle is always happening. How can you tell if myself or yourself is letting life or circumstances speak louder than truth? How could we be able to tell? Well, one big telltale sign is there's a real hopelessness. It's like, I just don't see how this can get any better. I don't see what's going on. It's, it's really depressed. It's isolated. It's overwhelmed. And here's the trouble with this. The trouble with this is, is that when we feel that way, we're in difficult situations... Like I said, there's emotions, and those emotions are okay. To acknowledge that they're there. To say, listen, you can tell when someone's really anxious and overwhelmed. You know, they just got it on their face, and you could just tell by the language they're using. They're really frustrated. They don't even know what's going to come next in the next step. And I'm not saying, and I don't think God is saying, that's inherently wrong and sinful right then and there. It's really important that you hear this part, Okay? Because the enemy is, he does, he does, he's pretty successful at convincing a lot of Christians that when they get to that point of feeling that down and out, they're not real Christians, that their belief isn't what they say it is, and he chooses to fill them with a lot of shame. And so you're already feeling bad about the situation happening, but now then you're feeling bad because you think you're a big hypocrite for being a Christian. Now, what the enemy is trying to whisper there would be true, would be true if we or you or someone else chose to stop talking about their situation at the anxiety, at the hopelessness, at the despair, at all the difficulties involved and all the questions unanswered. We typically are really good at all that. We think of everything, all the wrong that could possibly happen. And we list it all out and just say, I just don't know and I don't know how. If we stop there, then I think, yes, we're making a mistake and the enemy is on to something. But if we can come back somehow and say, but, everybody say but. But God is going to do something somehow. I have a living hope who conquered the grave. He is alive. He is well. He is interceding on my behalf. He will not leave me nor forsake me. I don't know how it's going to shake out. But I do know. It's not so much I have a problem. It is very much I have an answer. And that answer is a person. The answer is a person. And so if you can think about... Peter knows something about a living hope and a dead hope. You know, when Jesus Christ, he was sacrificed on the cross, can you imagine how, especially his inner circle, must have felt 
We gave up our jobs. We gave up everything in our lives to be with this man. And we saw the most amazing things we've ever seen. And it's like death one. None of them expected him to rise from the dead. It's like, I, I don't even know what to do. You know, and Peter went back fishing. They didn't know what to do. That's a dead hope. You know, they had some hope for a little while. They were inspired. But how glorious and how wonderful it was, right, when that living hope happened on Easter Sunday and Resurrection morning. Right? We believe in a living hope. And this is where Peter's trying to start with them, being like, listen, I hear with this, I know the situation, I get the circumstance. And Peter himself, he knows something about persecution. And he was died for his faith. And he was asked to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way that my Savior did. Right? He gets it. And he starts off his letter by saying, hey, listen, there is a living hope, alive, abundant mercy. It says, he has begotten us to this living hope. Here's what it says. Begotten. In Greek, here's what that means, that word begotten. It says, to be spiritually reborn, completely changed state. Change as a form of spiritual birth. So he says we have this abundant mercy because of our new birth. We've been totally born again. So he's saying, hey, listen, in this situation, okay, it is what it is. But there's a brand new life inside of us, rooted in a living God and Savior. All hope is not lost, guys. All hope is not lost. And here's how he refers to hope. Again, in the Greek, it's this word elpis. It says to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. He says his abundant mercy has created in us a new life where we have hope in Jesus Christ, a living hope. And what is that hope? It's a confidence that he will come through, that he will be faithful, that he's true to his word. So when you read and take a look at something like that, that's very different than be as positive or as optimistic as you possibly can. So that's typically what the world thinks. That's the world's wisdom. Carry a lot of optimism and positivity. That's a very different message than a living hope in Jesus Christ that has been begotten a spiritual new birth to where all of our chips are in on Jesus. It's very different. And Peter's saying, hey, listen, that's where your faith needs to be. Whatever you can do, make sure it's there. That is what will get you through what's going on right now. And not just as a crutch, but as a way that builds up your faith, as he references later, that's more precious than gold, silver, or anything else. Since he's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I don't know if you know it, but you got an inheritance, and I have an inheritance as well. Very interesting. 
There's an inheritance. There's something, like when people pass away, sometimes they have some stuff, sometimes they don't have anything. Sometimes you're going to inherit something. Sometimes you're going to inherit debt. (laughs) Sometimes you inherit nothing. Sometimes you just inherit problems. The good news about Jesus Christ is there's this inheritance because he lived a perfect, sinful life. He just lives in victory. All he knows is overcoming. All he knows is victory. He is the judge of all things. And so, because of his life, right, we have an inheritance that we get to share in and experience and have become part of our story as well. That, I, who does that? What God of any religion does that? The answer is none. Because every other religion is focused upon how hard you can work and how many things that you can do to hopefully get something from that. It's very works-based. The gospel is rooted in an abundant mercy and a grace that comes from heaven and honestly just floods us and just overwhelms us. And what that leads to is an empowering life. It's a beautiful thing. It's awesome. So our inheritance, and here's the other thing I want to say about inheritance is that Yes, when we pass from this world, we'll really get some clarity as far as what our inheritance is and what that looks like. I can't even... It's just fun sometimes to just go somewhere, get a notebook, or just shut everything off. Typically, I like to do it outside in the woods, on fishing or something. And then you just think about what our inheritance will be like, like what heaven will be like. You know, you take out your Bible, read some passages about what it's like around the throne room. It's just like mind-blowing. And you get to think about that stuff. And for the Christian, yes, that's true on that side. But to be honest with you, I really don't think it was ever in God's heart to say, you know what? You'll get to that inheritance someday. But while you're here on earth, man, it's a grind. You won't know nothing of that inheritance. I don't think at all that was in God's heart. And I don't think that at all because Jesus said something like, um, you're going to have life and life abundant. Streams of living water are going to be overflowing, living within the Christian. This thing is alive. Everybody say alive. Alive. It's so hard to be alive when you're in prison to your circumstance. How are you alive? The reality is you're just a prisoner. You're a prisoner to the circumstance. So when things are going really well, hey, you're up and at him. Everyone's seeing you. Smiley faces on. God bless you. How are you? Can I pray for you? When things are down, oh, I got nothing to bring now. Everything's rough. It's horrible. I'm going through it. What is that? Right? What is that? There's a different way they're trying to build in us. Alive. Alive. He's breathing life into situations. Because believe it or not, God is known for taking dead circumstances and situations, broken marriages, lost kids, medical reports that are not favorable, finances that are challenging. God has zero problem. In fact, he actually enjoys allowing those situations to come into our lives. To say, you know what? I'm going to display part of my glory here. 
I'm going to again blow my son's and daughter's mind about my goodness and about my faithfulness and what happens when I'm involved in even deeper levels. I hope you understand, like, that's the way God works. It's not like if we do enough good things, we're protected from all that stuff. So inheritance, yes, on one side, but also here. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why would God allow some of that stuff to happen? That's always the million-dollar question, is the why. And a lot of times, like, that's the one that's not always answered first and foremost. Especially in the day and age we live in, where there's so much just oppression, violence, division, um, just so much injustice. You know, it's this world. It's just, it's the world, right? It's not God's system. It's the world. And there's just a prince of this kingdom, you know, he goes around and he's influential. He does have some power. And the demons are not like these little red horn things that are just like there's four of them on the planet. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands, everywhere, always looking to sabotage or distort God's perfect plan and his works. And much of their success comes from, hey, look over here. Look at what God said or does over there. Look at this horrible tragedy. Look at how massively screwed up you are or this is. Yeah, don't pay attention to that. Yeah, they're all hypocrites. Look over here at this. Stay focused here. And too many battles, right, and victories are won, and too much hope is lost there. It's very difficult that can maintain that living hope when we're constantly distracted. So why does he do it? The genuineness of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. A lot of us know something about love and testing in the room. You know, you know kids at an early age, got little ones. They say they love you, you know, do all that stuff, and they want to hang around. And it's a pretty good relationship right now. The reality, and like a marriage, you know, a young marriage. I love you, honeymoon phase, you know. It's like, wow, why didn't we do this earlier? What happens over time is that gets tested. Right? It gets tested through one way or another, through other people, circumstances in life, other family members, whatever. It's getting tested. And then, what it does is that reveals much of who we are and what we believe. And so Peter is saying to these guys, he's saying, hey, listen, I understand. Like, let's not deny this situation. Because there are some circles of Christianity that would kind of teach that you should deny it. They should just say, basically, listen, this is not what's happening. We're not being persecuted. I deny that in Jesus' name. That's like, what is that? Or they get a medical report and it says what it says on there, and people are going to say, I refute that in Jesus' name. I get the heart behind it, but the reality is hey, listen, here's what the doctor's report says. 
That's the reading. This is the situation. But they're trying to, I know what they're trying to say, they're trying to say that that's not the last word. God will have the last word. I'm going to submit that report. I'm going to declare in Jesus' name that this situation, it will change. He hears my voice. He is faithful. There's prayer covering this. He will move. How? I don't really know. But I do know. Again, I do know there's a living hope. That life is going to breathe into this. That glory to God will happen out of this. And when I found, being a pastor here and just doing other things, I found that so many Christians lack that ability to be able to come back around and say, well, you hear all of the drama, right? And we're all going through something. And here's the reality. Like I said last week, we're always going through something, always and forever. Just get used to that one. But the idea is, how are we going to handle that? How are we going to respond? And what the Lord does is he allows these situations into our lives to reveal where we really are at and what we really believe. And if anyone knows anything about that, it's Peter. And we talked about this in the beginning with Peter. He's like, Lord, I will die for you. I don't know about these other guys, but me, I'm committed. Amen. A lot of times we do stuff like that. And Jesus is like, man, and, and Jesus did not um, you know, give him a hard time or insult him in some way, shape, or form of, of his like, ambition to want to really be in. He didn't get reprimanded for that. But he was corrected. He said, well, your faith level is not quite at where you think it is. So actually, are you going to deny even knowing me three times in a row the same night? And Peter's like appalled. Never. I could never. Maybe they would. Maybe John, you know, but not me. So I'm kind of grateful, you know, there's a part of me that through the years, you know, I'm grateful for the Lord allowing challenging situations into my life. Because honestly, that's the only time I'm really going to be made aware. Because I can convince myself of anything. And so can you. Especially if you get the right people around you, that you can just get people to agree with you. And you can convince yourself of anything. And honestly, there's nothing like pain or difficulty to really bring to the surface and open my eyes to see what God actually sees in my life. And Peter's saying, hey, listen, just embrace that. The Lord is building and growing faith. He's not allowing the difficulty and challenges to come in to just make you feel overwhelmed and to crush you. He's helping you to see where you're currently at and where he's calling you to. And like Jesus said, like you can come to him. Weary, burdened, and heavy laden. He'll give you rest. But you've got to keep coming to him. And look how the Bible refers to your faith. You know, we want to make money. We want retirement accounts. We want to go do things. The Bible refers to faith as not to some, like, add-on, extra bonus. Heaven goes, your faith it's more precious than gold. Like the most priceless thing, it's more precious than that. That's the way heaven feels about our faith. There's something like amazing there. And it's worth everything for us as believers 
to search that out and find out God's heart and to continue to allow him to expand our faith, to grow in areas of faith, to believe God for more things, for different things. This is so important. Heaven sees that as so valuable. It says, It is tested by fire. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. We can all relate to that. None of us walk with Jesus, but we love him. And that's where they're at. And Peter's just like, I'm sure as he's writing it, he's like, man, this is incredible. Their hearts are totally captured by this person of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's doing such a work in their lives and hearts that it's like, it's like they, their love is like they walked with him. And I did. And they're at the same place. I'm sure he's just blown away as he's writing it. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he says, listen, circumstances might not change. You might actually die here. You confess doesn't mean that you're going to be delivered in the moment. You might, and there's plenty of stories. Listen, there's plenty of stories of Christians who just, man, just bold confessions, belief of faith, and God delivered them from the situation. It's also equally true. There's many situations, bold confessions of faith, of who they believe and who God is, and it costs them their life. Dead on the spot. And Peter's trying to express to them, listen, whether you live or die and how your circumstances might treat you, that's not the indicator of what you need to gauge yourself by when you're being obedient to what God is calling you to do. Say, listen, just follow his voice. Allow the faith to be tested, to be grown. Just step up faithful in whatever way you can. And that's the most important place where you can invest. Verse 10, he says, Of the salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. What's he saying here? Of the salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glories that would follow. To them, it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things with which angels, excuse me, desire to look into. What's he saying here? Here's what he's saying. In the Old Testament, if you don't read the Old Testament, you've got to read the Old Testament, Okay? New Testament is great. It's the New Testament, New Revelation. It's the good news. But it's only really good if you kind of get what happened in the Old Testament. Otherwise, you're missing it. Read your Bibles. It's so good. It's so good. You won't regret it, I promise you. So in the Old Testament, you have guys like David, Isaiah, Amos, Zechariah. You have these guys writing these things. And it's talking about, like David, in Psalm 22, he's talking about how people are going to cast lots, how somebody's going to be pierced. He must have been writing it like, what am I talking about right now? People are going to gamble for my clothes? 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I, why am I writing this? You know, and you have Isaiah writing down. He's going to be beaten beyond the recognition. recognition so he could be beaten beyond recognition so no man can recognize him. What the heck? I'm going to get beat like that? Oh, my God. Like, what's he? He doesn't know. And what Peter's saying, he's saying, hey, listen, the Old Testament had happened. It says the prophets have inquired and searched carefully of this grace that would come. He's saying, God was speaking it through the prophets. And you live it, and they're living, who, first, who Peter's writing to, they're living in a time where it's already taken place and been fulfilled. Peter's trying to say, listen, I know what the circumstances are. But listen, if you focus there, the other place where you could really be focusing is the great narrative at work. You're in an amazing time. You're actually in the middle of God's plan unfolding. Even though it might cost you your life, even though it does look horrific, and even though probably on most days, I'm guessing for them, it seems like most things are falling apart. And Peter's saying, man, you live, we're living in an amazing time that was prophesied about hundreds of years ago. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by the prophetic word that was given in the Old Testament. Be encouraged about Jesus Christ that he conquered the grave. There is an alive, living hope. Put all your chips there. Your circumstances are what they are, but bring them before the throne of God and believe that he will move. Can you hear Peter's heart behind it? That's how we're called to respond to difficult and challenging situations. That's the calling on our life. That's where the Holy Spirit is bringing us into. So some people are like, well, I'm not there. I don't do that. Oh, okay, maybe. That doesn't mean that's not the Holy Spirit's plan to bring you there. Because it is. He's making us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's bringing us to the place to where we can handle difficulties, persecution, hard situations in such a way to where it doesn't sacrifice hope. It's important for us to believe that, guys. And not be ashamed for where our shortcomings are. Listen, I got them and you got them. It's not a newsflash to anybody. It's also not a reason to just stay there and not change. The Bible has made it clear there is a work that he is doing. And our responsibility is to embrace the process of fire testing and pruning that the Spirit is doing. So let's close up here. He says, therefore, Peter's trying to encourage him here. Here's what you guys can do. Here's the practical part. Gird up the loins of your mind. I bet you guys use that phraseology all the time. Right? The guys back then, right, they would have, and you can see it now in the Middle East, you know, they have, um, you know, like a skirt, basically, right? One piece comes down pretty low. And so you obviously can't run or move or do a lot of things really athletically that way. And so, uh, you know, he's telling me, say, listen, gird those things up, man. Like, get yourself in ready position. Let nothing just, like, get in the way of where you might need to go, how you might need to respond. Do that in your mind. That's what he says. Gird up the loins of your mind. So all that nonsense that sometimes we let come in, it's like, eh, it's okay, it's not that big a deal. Guess what? It kind of has an effect. And I'm not saying become a Pharisee now, but what I am saying is it's worthwhile to pay attention. Especially in those difficult times that they're in the middle of. 
So he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Don't get drunk because your situation sucks. Christians do it. I'll go to alcohol. I'll go to my pills. I'll go to whatever. And that's like how I'll get my fix and I'll be able to cope. Because unfortunately, Jesus has been reduced to a way just to cope to get me through my problems. I can promise you, he's so much more than that. And it's wrong to use him that way. I remember a coworker, you know, at work, we were talking about something. I forget what it was. We're talking about someone. Oh, we're talking about someone that radically just, it didn't happen in a moment, it happened over time. Delivered from cocaine. And I was sharing with him about a story and different things. And his first response, he's like, well, uh, so did he become addicted to Jesus? And I'm like, hmm, kind of. I knew where he was going with this. That was a loaded question. Seems innocent, but it was loaded. What he's trying to say, and he's going to imply, which he did follow up with, he was implying that, well, he's an addict, and so what he did is he just substituted that addiction um, for a coping way in Jesus Christ. So he's addicted to coping well. And whatever it takes to get there to cope, that's what that person will do. That's what he was trying to get at. And so I said, well, yeah, he kind of. He kind of did. He said, yeah, I said, a lot of times, you know, addicts, they just transfer, you know, from one thing to the next. I said, yeah, I said, so are you saying that God didn't do anything supernaturally in his life? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I haven't seen much of that happen. And you know what? I bet a lot of people would say that. I bet a lot of people would say that. But God does do supernatural things. And he does transform things. And he does transform people and changes them forever. So be sober. Stay away from substances. When you're feeling difficulty, trials, and you're feeling the pressure and the heat, I've always been amazed at how well I, I don't handle heavy frustrations in my life. I feel like the last three years, the Lord is like, you suck at handling frustrations. It's become very unhealthy. Just do things that just are not, they're not good. They're not building on a good foundation. They're not inherently horrible, but I know they're not good. So it's important that we see here, be sober. When that stuff comes in, don't run to a substance. Don't even necessarily run to a person first. Maybe at some point. But at least go to God first. And do whatever you can to keep the substances away. Because it's very important for us to know that pain always has a purpose. And if you look to just get rid of the symptom of the pain, we never give the Holy Spirit a chance to deal with us on the root of that issue of the pain that's going on. Are you with me? So gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. How do you do that? Like, I'm pretty sure most of you aren't going to go wherever you're going to go tomorrow or later today. You know, I'm holy. You know, I'm holy. You're going to use that sort of phrase. I'm not saying that you should, but it's probably more worthwhile to think about it as. 
if Peter's sort of giving a command here, it's probably something you should pay attention to, and I should pay attention to. Be holy. Let it be a part of our lives. You might not consider yourself holy, but maybe the way that we think about it and develop that definition might not be totally biblical. I'll tell you this. When the Bible talks about holiness, it talks about sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. I like to think, think of sanctification like this. I don't have it in my house, but I've been to other people's houses that has it. You've got really nice china, like the nice dishes that are in the cabinet that you only touch on really nice occasions. That's sanctified. That's sanctified. That's, that's what holiness is about. It's saying that we intentionally choose to not let things come in, people come in, thoughts, ideas, music, whatever it is. We choose not to let those things come into our bodies or into our minds, into our hearts. It's called sanctification. Like, I'm special China. I'm special China. Special. I'm, reserved. I'm a temple of the Most High God. I'm reserved for something other than that right now. That's just not... That might have been who I, who I was and what I used to do, what I used to fill myself up with, but that's not what I'm interested in filling myself up with anymore. I believe in a living hope who's alive, who's resurrected, who's breathing something here. And if I fill myself up with the old way, I can't at all see what he's doing in this new thing. So be holy as I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as a lamb without blemish or without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Last part. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the, spirit, uh, through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word which by the gospel is preached to you. So he finishes up with saying, hey, listen, the difficulty you're going through right now, that's even, whether we live or die, that's short-term anyways. And I've told you before, you take a spray bottle, you spray it in the air, you see that like mist, and then it goes. That's what our life is like here on earth. So Peter's trying to put in perspective in this first chapter as far as where their hope is, where it lies, what they've been called to, and how to further cultivate that in their lives. I think it's such a good word and such a good message. And so hopefully for us, hopefully for us, we don't deal with the same old situations with the same old us. I hope we deal with circumstances and situations from a living hope instead of however much energy we have that day. There's a way to do that. And God will help us do that. 
and will start to just change over time and handle situations totally different. And it's a really beautiful thing. And it's not because we're so awesome we possess all these abilities. It's because God's doing that work in us. And we're all getting better. We're all getting better, as long as we're embracing the process. So, when you go out this week, make sure you are hope dealers everywhere you go. There's a reason to. There's a reason to. And if you're not feeling it strong, you don't feel like you have much of hope, in fact, maybe you feel like you have more confusion, more doubts, I love having that song out says, listen, all my fears and doubts, they can come too. I'm praising anyways. Don't let that be your reason to just stop and freeze up for a while. Probationary period. Continue to bring before him and worship him. He'll give you some things to be hopeful about. And man, just spread that thing like wildfire. Because it's bigger than optimism. And it's bigger than positivity. It's about a God who's alive and well. And he still works in the hearts and souls of people. And breathes life in amazing ways that's so beyond being positive. Amen? Amen. Let's do some communion time together. Hold on to these elements. There you go. Hey, thank you. So just hold on to them. We're going to take them together in a minute. While you're holding on to it, just express to the Lord your thankfulness about the living hope that we have, about how he made us as white as snow. No blemish, no spot. That's the intention of communion time, is to receive the elements and then just reflect and just pray and just say, thank you, Lord. You might do it in your seat. Uh, You might do it on the kneeler. Whatever it is, but that's the point of communion time. Just say thank you to God and just reflect as far as what he's done for us.